for his generation. And as he starts out this book of Ecclesiastes, he starts out with these two words. He says, hebel, hebel, which means vanity. Vanity is a very, very happy king, very joyful king. He basically starts out this book saying, meaningless, meaningless. It's all meaningless. There's no purpose in life. Like I said, he was a very happy guy. And so he's gonna, he, he basically sets out to become wise. And in trying to do so, he discovers that everything is pointless and it's all a chasing in the wind. And so he says to himself, he says, I'm wise, I have all this wisdom. He says, I'm going to seek to search out by wisdom all the things that, have done, that are done under heaven and on earth. And that's where we pick up in chapter 2. He said, I searched in my heart, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. You ever been there? Like, oh man, I'm just going to enjoy myself today. I'm going to enjoy myself. He says, but behold, this was also vanity, meaning this was meaningless. I set out to search for pleasure. I'm going to eat till my heart is delighted. I'm going to drink of the best. And he says, after I did all these things, I learned that it was all vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. He's talking about wine. I, I'm going I'm to drink wine here because wine in this time period is not just something that, you know, it was very life-giving. It was something that was set at the table for them to enjoy. And it was something for them that was set at the table for them and to enjoy life. All right? Like this is not, this is not Solomon trying to get drunk. This is not Solomon drinking a bunch of wine, taking the wine, pouring it down his throat, setting it down on the table and saying, man, I feel good. This is the pleasure of life. That's not really what he's doing. This is kind of an experiment that Solomon is doing where he's taking wine and, and it's, it's meant to, to show the enjoyment of life. And so he's got this and he's trying. I want to I understand. And he says, after wine, I, I said in verse 4, it said that I made great works. I built houses and I planted vineyards for myself. It says that I made for myself gardens and parks, and I planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of the growing trees. It said that I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I said, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of the kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women. I wonder what kind of singers he got. Like, was it country? Like, were they jazz? Like, you know, the Lionel Richie type? Was it like Prince? I'm just very curious as to what type of singers he got. I got both singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great. And I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. 
for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all of my, all of my hard work, all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expanded, and in doing it, and, and behold, all was vanity, meaning all was meaningless, and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Now, if you're tracking along with me so far, he's tested wine. He's tested like this is almost to them like they're, they're forms of, of medicine. They're forms of enlightenment. Let me understand. It says that he goes on and he, he, he searches by building out for himself great gardens and great parks. This is kind of like this is kind of like his main hobby. I'm going to be an architect, so to speak. I'm going to have all these things built for me so that I can walk through them and so that I can enjoy myself. This is at its finest. This is intense consumerism. Intense consumerism. Let me just have it. I've got to have everything for me. Now, if you can imagine just a little bit, imagine that Solomon is souped up on the same adrenaline that we find here in America on Black Friday. I've got to have it. But this is for him. This is, this is going on for several months at a time. I've, just, I've got to find that thing that's going to bring me pleasure. And so he goes on from the gardens and the parks, his intense consumerism where he says it's all about me. It continues to go where he says that I, I've had great possessions. I even brought in the gold. I brought in the silver. I surrounded my palace with gold and with silver. It says that I, I went from there. I had the best singers come in. I had Lee Greenwood come in. Of all people, I had Prince come in. I knew that Lee Greenwood would get you right there. I had all these people brought into my palace to sing for me. And I learned that it was just vanity. He says that I brought in concubines to the light of the sun's man. He said I even went as far as to try out sex. And I brought in all these female servants and these female slaves so that I might have sex till I drop. And at the end of it, it says that I found out that it was vanity, that it was meaningless. He said that I became great and I was still dissatisfied. He's consumed. He's shopped till he's dropped. And he said, I'm still dissatisfied. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is what we call idolatry. This is what we call idolatry. Idolatry is whenever you take anything, anything other than God, anything other than God, and you take it and you turn it into a type of God by the way that you worship it, by the way that you think about it, by the way that you spend your time on it, by the way that you hold it tightly, by the way that you protect it. It can, it can literally be anything. You can literally have an idol in your life over anything in the world. Now, these kids here that we talked about that have, that have kind of been hooked on Fortnite, they don't really have an addiction problem. They have an idolatry problem. They have an idol in their living rooms or in their bedrooms that they may not literally bow down to, but it's something that their heart is actively worshiping, that their heart is worshiping. They have an idol problem. They have a worship problem, essentially. Now, see, so you can make idols out of work. You can make idols out of relationships whether it be husband and wife, whether it be your kids, especially here in America today, we love to worship our kids. If we could make statues of our kids and put them up in the center of our living rooms, we would worship them. It's a true story. We can make idols out of our hobbies. We can make idols out of our entertainment. We can make idols out of our comfort. 
And that's exactly what Solomon has done here. He has taken all of these things and he's put them in the center of his world. And it says that as I've worshipped these things, they've become my idols and they have left me wanting more. That's what idols do. They leave you wanting more. If you're here this morning and you're searching and you're worshiping anything other than the God of the universe through His Son, Jesus Christ, it's going to leave you wanting more. You see, we've all, at some point in our lives, we've taken God's good gifts and we've turned them into idols, worshiping those things, worshiping the gifts more than we worship the giver. At some point or another, we've all done that. At some point, and here's just the thing, at some, like you, you, you have come to the end of your rope and you said, okay, for whatever reason, I'm still bored and I'm still dissatisfied. You may have never played Fortnite, but at some point or another, all of us in here this morning have had Fortnite of the soul, addicted but not satisfied. We've all had those moments. The writer of Ecclesiastes, he had it here. He had fortnight of the soul, essentially, where he's addicted to so many things and he's not satisfied. And I'm here to tell you this morning that there is a better way, that there is a much better way. Some of you are thinking, okay, well, we should just avoid the wine. We should just avoid the parks. We should just avoid entertainment. We should avoid listening to good music, avoid the arts. We should just stay away, right? We should just withdraw, No, 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 that's not exactly what I'm saying. Some of you are thinking we should just avoid everything. But see, here's the good news, is that we live on this side of Jesus from eternity. We live on this side of Jesus, and we understand the world to work differently than the writer of Ecclesiastes did. You see, Jesus, He changes everything. He changes everything. Jesus had friends. Jesus had friends. He he calls us friends. Jesus laughed. We don't often like to think about Jesus that way. Sometimes I don't know the picture of Jesus that you have in your mind, but whenever I was growing up, I just pictured Jesus just to be this like weepy guy who told a bunch of parables. That's not the case. Like he was always sad and always like someone needed to cheer Jesus up. That's not the way that Jesus was. Jesus laughed. Whenever Jesus was a, a young boy, like he played games. He had fun. Jesus had a job. He had a J-O-B. Right? Like Jesus had a job. Jesus had joy. Jesus had satisfaction. Jesus went to parties. My goodness, Jesus went to parties like Jesus had a social life? Yeah, like he did. He was a nice human being, like he was the nicest human being of all time. He was somebody that you would have wanted to hang out with. And so if Jesus had all these things, then certainly we should too. It's okay for us to have friends. It's okay for you to sit down and enjoy a movie with a friend. It's okay to sit there and watch an episode, maybe two, on Netflix. It's okay. I'm pretty sure that Jesus would have done this. It's okay to have parties in your neighborhoods and invite your friends over to. Jesus would have done that. Jesus went to parties. And here's the best news of all. Because of Jesus, it's not all meaningless and it's not all vanity. It's not all meaningless. You see, everything that we do now has purpose. Everything that we do now has meaning. And we, Christians, should especially have joy because we know and have the best news of all that Jesus died the death that we should have died, and now we're living the life that Jesus should have lived. So we, of all people, should have the most joy now that we have access to God. 
And so we don't avoid these things. We don't avoid the things that the world does. We don't avoid entertainment. We don't avoid work. We don't avoid friends. We don't avoid television, but we see them through a different lens. We see them through a different lens, and here's here's basically what we do. We we enjoy the taste of wine, not just for the taste of wine, but we enjoy God through the wine, just as Solomon did here. We enjoy God through that. Don't get drunk, you Baptists. But we enjoy those things of life differently than Solomon did because of Jesus. We understand that we can enjoy God in all the things of life, in the gardens and the parks and, and the work and in the hobbies. We don't just enjoy ourselves for the enjoyment of ourselves, but we turn that into worship. Our enjoyment of it is good for us to enjoy, but it turns into worship of a God who gave those things to us. So we enjoy the, the gardens and the parks and the work and the hobbies, or even our possessions that God has gifted us with. We enjoy those things through a different lens and our possessions. I don't know if you've ever been in just in your house or maybe on Christmas morning and you see all the things that you just opened up. You see the things that you've been blessed with that have been gifted to you and it just it overflows in you for worship for God. That's a good thing. That's what we as Christians are designed now to do. Where we see our possessions and we enjoy them, but it points back to a greater God who gifted those things to us. Even our entertainment can turn into a form of worship. Now, some of you are Clemson Tiger fans. I know <laughs> at some point last week, for those, this pains me to t- even talk about. I can't believe I'm doing it. But I'm sure there was a point I don't understand how you did it. I don't know why you did it, but I'm sure that there was a point this week and you're watching the Clemson Tigers win the national championship. I can't imagine what it must be like. Stop clapping. Stop applausing. Please. That's, this is not something we clap about. But I'm sure that there was a point in time this week whenever you were just overflowing and that, that enjoyment for your entertainment, your enjoyment of college football, it turned into worship. And you said, thank God for this game. Thank God that I'm allowed to enjoy football. Thank God that I'm allowed to enjoy even something as crazy as the Clemson Tigers. Now, if you're a Carolina fan, sometimes that's not healthy, okay? Like, let's just be honest with each other. Let's just, we're all, bro- we're all brothers in Christ, right? Sometimes it, it's not worship, it's idolatry, right? I've been there. My wife can attest she hates the fall. But even, even our sex, right? Like even the sex that we have is meant for us to enjoy. But it's meant for us to enjoy, not just, not just enjoy that. And it doesn't just stop there, but it points to a giver, right? It points to a good giver under the confines, under the, the construct of marriage, whenever you're enjoying sex and in an intimate relationship with the one that's been given to you by God. This is the thing that we enjoy, and it doesn't just stop there, but it points back, and it becomes worship in our hearts. And some of you are like, amen. You see, all the things that God has given us, it's not for intense consumerism, but it's for intense worship. It's for intense worship, where we worship the God of the universe who has blessed us with those things. Now, some of us this morning, like, Let's just be honest, we've taken the gifts 
and we've worshipped the gifts over the giver. Now, that sounds a little bit crazy. Let me just tell you how crazy it is. So every year for my birthday, my wife bakes a special chocolate cake of my choosing. Every year it changes. She literally hands the cake book to me. She says, now, which cake would you like for me to make today? And I love it. Like, it's the best. And so every year without fail, she comes to me in the morning of my birthday. She hands me the cake book. She says, here's the chocolate cake. Whatever chocolate cake you would like for me to bake today, I'm going to do it. Just a great wife. Now, she bakes it. She spends her, her hard work on it. And then at the very end of the day, she takes the chocolate cake. She presents it to me. She says, happy birthday. This is what I've, this is what I've worked for. I've, I've made this for you. Now, how crazy would it be if I set the chocolate cake on the table and I begin, like somehow in some weird, twisted way, begin to love the cake more than I love my wife. Like, can you just imagine, like, oh, man, the icing and just the way that it, it flows through the cake. I love this cake more than I love you. What in some weird, twisted way, like if, if I begin to love the cake more than I love my wife, it, it begins to rival my affections for her. That's crazy, right? I would never allow something like that. I would never allow a cake that has especially been given to me by my wife. I would never allow that to rival my love. I would never allow that to rival my affections for her. But here's what happens every single year without fail. She presents that cake to me, and what it does is it makes me think, man, how sweet is my wife. How gracious is my wife. She didn't have to do this. And with every bite, I'm thinking about, one, the goodness of the cake. Now, if you think you can do better, I'd love to see you try. And with every bite, I'm thinking, man, this is a good cake. But it's doing something even bigger in my mind and in my heart. And I'm, it's making me think, how good is my wife? How good is my wife? She went through the trouble of doing this for me. And it sounds crazy. It's really, it really does sound crazy, but it's something that you and I do every single day where we take the good gifts of God and we take those things and we worship them over the giver. We say, I, I love this house. I love my children. Thank you for my spouse. Thank you for something like this entertainment. Thank you for my job. And we begin to... to place our affections on those things over the giver, over God himself. In an analogy like that, we say, man, how crazy would that be? But it's something that you and I do every day. We allow the gifts to rival our affections for the giver. And this, brothers and sisters, this is idolatry. We've allowed those things to rival our love for God and young boys and girls around this country have allowed something as simple and something as crazy as a video game to rival their affections for God, to rival their affections for Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 27, he says, for, I am, for though I am free from all, and I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them, meaning that he's trying to become more like the Jews, becoming more like the Gentiles, and and embracing their way of life so that he might then share the good news of Jesus with them. He said, to the Jews I became as a Jew 
in order to win Jews. To those who were under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, meaning that I'm not bound by the weight, I'm not bound by the legalism of the law, but I became and I practiced as though as I was was, so that I might reason with and so that I might preach the good news to those Jews who were under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law, meaning that I became like the Gentiles. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, which we mean good news. I do it for the good news of Jesus, that I might share with them in its blessing. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul's talking about the fact that as a slave to Christ, as a slave to righteousness, I'm going to put my heart and my body in such a position that I will not be a slave to nothing else. That I won't be a slave to my job, that I won't be a slave to sex, that I won't be a slave to pornography, that I won't be a slave to my children, that I will not be a slave to video games, that I will not be a slave to Netflix, that I will not be a slave to nothing. I'm going to enjoy those things, but only so that I might reach others and so that it might become worship in my heart. And so that's what we're to do as Christians, to enjoy those things, but to use them in order to preach Christ. So let me ask you again this morning. How do you spend your time? What consumes your time? Are you wasting time? Don't waste time. Life is precious. Life is a vapor. Don't waste time. Do you enjoy Jesus in the small things of life? Can He be found in something as simple as a donut and something as good as a steak? Can you find Jesus in those things? Do you enjoy the gifts or do you enjoy the giver? Which one are you enjoying this morning? You probably thought that as Christians we're a sad, gloomy bunch, but Christians were supposed to be the most joyful in all the world. The most joyful because we believe in the best news in all of history that Jesus Christ came into the world to die, sinner, to die for sinners. And all of God's gifts were given for us to enjoy but not just for us to enjoy, but to point back to the glory of God. And so this morning I ask you, are we consumed with idolatry? Or are we consumed with the worship of Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather in your name, our Lord, centered around your word. And Lord, our, our culture is consumed with this. And as Christians, it's, it's good for us to know, Lord, it's, it's good for us to, to be involved in the conversation because we as Christians are the ones that the world is looking to for answers. 
Lord is looking to for wisdom, for hope, for joy. And so I just pray, Lord, that as good witnesses to those around us, Lord, that we wouldn't be consumed by anything, Lord, that we would not be idolaters in our hearts, or that we would be consumed with worship. And so I pray this morning that if there be anything, Lord, in between us that's stopping us from worshiping you, any idols in our life, I pray that you would convict us over those things. Give us eyes to see it. Or give us wisdom to confront those things. And give us hearts to worship you and you alone. We love you, Jesus. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. This morning, if you are not a follower of Jesus, we'd love to, one, just give you the good news, just as plain, as simple as we possibly can, is that we were broken apart from Christ. Lord, seeking, seeking anxiety, Lord, seeking selfishness, seeking, seeking brokenness. And Jesus Christ came into the world to save us from those things. And so if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and maybe today you would like to start one, I'll be in the back of the room, my wife will be in the back of the room. And if you need somebody just to pray with, maybe you're going through a certain circumstance or situation in life, uh, we'll be there for you to pray with this morning. We just pray that you would be obedient to whatever God is calling you to this morning. Thank you.